Hello and welcome to this edition of Nightlight. First, I can never find the words, ever, to express to you all what you mean to Mary and me. You're the very engine that runs this ministry. It has been your love and your participation and your engaging interest in prayers that have not only helped us continue, but made us able to expand our ministry to help the poor, to provide material to other ministries, and to keep stretching in order to provide you the best we have to offer in teaching. And uh, we want to thank you for that. But you know that this has been a very, very difficult and demanding year. Uh, and I thought it, it best, rather than just to try to carry on as normal, uh, to communicate with you uh, directly about where things are and how things are unfolding. Uh, let me try to be as honest as I know how about the deaths that we've, that we've faced. Dwight's death and then Bradley's was so shocking and so difficult to grasp in that they were so close to each other both in time and in emotion that Mary and I are only now beginning to really re really recover from the original effects. The last two nightlights you have received were pre-recorded before their deaths and therefore did not reflect the weakness and pain that we experienced during the initial uh, grieving period. So today I'm, I'm just speaking to you from my study and I uh, felt it would be best to just simply try to fill you in on how things are at present. Dwight's memorial service took place the weekend of September 13th and 14th. It was attended by several hundred from many parts of the world. The outpouring of affection and the testimonies of how Dwight helped and influenced so many for good was a, a healing thing in itself. Dwight was a bit like Gandalf in that many knew him all around the world, but each place had their own idea of who he was and often were amazed at the esteem in which he was held by other parts of the world that they had previously not known about. So it was great for so many to come together and present uh, their various testimonies and uh, tell what Dwight had meant to them in their lives. Then Mary and I uh, will leave tomorrow for the Miami Conference, which is held much later this year than usual due to the demands on us during the early part of the year. We normally are there in the spring. Uh, it's hosted this year by the Dorrell Vineyard. Then the upcoming Black Mountain Conference is not long behind that. Mary and I find it difficult to consider being back in these locations where Bradley and Roman were always such a part of us, especially Black Mountain. As always, there's too much I could say, but I want to limit my remarks to only one story because I believe it might help some of us who might still be in the throes of grief. Many of you know Dave Burkhart. He and his wife Linda have been a part of our team for nearly as long as we've been a team. But of all our team members, Dave is the least likely to be given to anything overly emotional or unusually spiritual. Now, that's not to say that he's in any way lacking in spiritual depth, but he's just not one to talk about supernatural experiences, even if he happens to have one. But after hearing of Brad's passing, he was so deeply shaken that he went upstairs to his study and I'll try to express in Dave's words the best I can what happened as he was on his study floor praying and grieving. He related how Brad suddenly was just before him, not in a vision and certainly not a physical presence, but somewhere in between the two. Dave found himself asking if Brad was going to come back, for at that time, Dave only knew of the initial death report and that believers were at that moment engaged in intercession for his restoration to us. But upon hearing that question, Dave said Brad began to laugh. And the laughter became stronger and stronger until he fell backward and rolled on the floor laughing. Then he stood calmly and smiled and was gone. Now, um, it wasn't long after we returned from uh, Brad and, and Dwight's memorials 
that we received the unbelievable news of the death of David Wilkerson, who had been killed in a head-on collision with an 18-wheeler near Tyler, Texas, mine and Mary's home area, where he and his wife had recently returned from New York City to retire. Now, you may or may not know that I served under David Wilkerson as a very young man and received all my initial training in ministry. I uh, was trained under the direct guidance of Gene Mullinex, who, by the way, is Leanne Payne's brother-in-law. I got my first-hand experience in the difficult life of street people in Chicago and Binghamton, New York, and Detroit, Buffalo, as well as Houston, New Orleans, and Baton Rouge. And just as many of you look forward to Nightlight every month, Mary and I likewise look forward to the arrival of David Wilkerson's printed sermons. This is the only newsletter we both would read as soon as we got our hands on it. His passing was personal because in Texas I was helped and blessed by so many connected with David Wilkerson, was introduced to Leonard Ravenhill. And uh, his passing was a spiritual loss because after Derek Prince, probably no voice so pointedly or clearly uh, spoke to Mary and me of who we are and what we are about than David Wilkerson. Just as so many of you don't see us face to face yet, Tell us that you think of us as part of your family, for which we're deeply honored. That's the way it was for us with David Wilkerson. He's been the pastoral and prophetic voice to me longer than any other voice in my life, even longer than Derek Prince's. And so, uh, again, it was a death which hit us hard. His memorial service at Times Square Church in New York City was held at the exact same hour that Dwight's was held in Dayton, Ohio. It was a bittersweet day to think of them both being home free, yet to try to consider what carrying forward would mean without them. And then a year ago, uh, two years ago now in January, it was January of last year. This parade of departing saints began for us with the passing of my producer and music mentor, Tom Howard. I haven't spoken much about the music project, God, a Man and a Woman, uh, since Tom's death, just simply because it's too painful to talk about. But we finally were able to locate all the recorded material which Tom had filed away in a filing system that only he and God understood. And speaking of that, it, it actually took a rather miraculous intervention by the Lord for us to be able to locate all the missing parts. But eventually everything was restored, and we are now in the process of finalizing the artwork and the pressing of the final copies, which will be completed very soon. I don't mind asking you to please renew your prayers for the release of this project, which has taken 10 years of our lives. It is meant to be a celebration of the marriage covenant, and we believe that that is why it is a hated thing by the enemy, particularly because of that in the climate of perversion that we're now living in as a culture. So pray that this release will be honoring to the Lord and that it will be a blessing and help to people, especially to marriages. Tom's career spanned 40 years and represented the history of contemporary Christian music. His name is linked with everybody from Phil Keggy to Michael W. Smith. But the last music Tom worked on in his long and honored career, the very last lyrics he conducted before his death, uh, were the final uh, words from God, a man, and a woman. It's rather a, a, a beautiful irony that these were his last words uh, in his career. I wait beneath your shadow until I can see your face, for I know that what you promised will come true. Though the winds of war are screaming, I have found my hiding place. Even in the face of death, I rest in you. Till the dawn has come and the shadows flee, I can hear your voice speaking quietly. In this raging storm, it is like a warm embrace. I will trust those words until I behold your face. Now, 
Unbeknown to many of you, a number of our nightlighters have also experienced recent deaths of many loved ones. Some of you will be aware, because it was an international news item, of the cold-blooded murder of a young lady, Christine Lucan, who was a close friend of Karen and Dwight Pryor's and a friend to several nightlighters. Christine was knifed in Jerusalem by a Palestinian terrorist as she walked with a friend, Kay Susan Wilson, who was also attacked, tied up, and stabbed several times, but survived. Other people have buried their dead, taken not by terrorists, but still separated for the time being by death. Now, on the one hand, death is part of life. We know that. Several weeks before Tom Howard died, the Lord spoke to me while I was running morning, morning errands, and I heard him speak to my heart that a series of deaths was about to come and to prepare myself for them. I, of course, in typical manner, assumed I understood what that word meant because Mary and I are in touch with many elderly leaders and have a number of friends who are in their late elder years. So in my natural mind, I, I just assumed. The word to me was accurate, but it was nothing like I assumed it would be. So on the one hand, yes, death is a part of life. Yet on the other hand, we are entering into, I believe, a time of unusual events on many levels. And though we are not yet experiencing anything close to the level of loss and persecution our brothers and sisters around the world are facing, we are certainly being called upon by the Spirit of God to allow Him to deal deeply and unhindered with any part of our heart that is not yielded to Him and to begin to allow Him especially to deal with those parts of our heart that are holding on to people or to things in a way that uh, is not healthy. Now, I don't for a minute mean to imply that people's deaths are just some addendum to our personal spiritual growth. That would be myopic beyond imagination, but and I'm certainly not meaning to say that we're to try to stop caring or withdraw love from people so that we're not devastated if they pass away. In fact, it means the very opposite, to embrace them even more, to allow our love to become richer by becoming purer. We must recognize that though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day while we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Second Corinthians four seventeen and 18. The way we are most effective in the world is to not be tied to the world. And the shaking that is coming upon everything that can be shaken is coming not only to warn the world, but to purge the people of God from our wrong value systems. Judgment must begin at the house of God, 1 Peter 4, 17. This judgment is not a terrifying thing unless one is in rebellion against God's goodness. Judgment in its root meaning doesn't mean cataclysm. It means to put right whatever's wrong. The judges in the book of uh, Judges were the deliverers, not the, not the wrath-bringers. For God's people, judgment means deliverance, rescue, setting free, putting right what's wrong. If we're on the right side of that subject, then there's no fear in judgment because perfect love casts out fear, James tells us. Now, if we're properly understanding God's nature and character and how that nature expresses itself towards us as perfect love, that understanding will cast out fear in all of its forms. Don't you want the fears in your life to be purged out? So we can actually begin to become excited by the contemplation of the fact that all things are for our sakes, 1 Corinthians 4 says, and that whatever shaking is happening is solely for the perfecting of the saints and the deliverance of the world from evil. When we contemplate the degree of demonic cruelty 
that is right now being manifested in so many places, not the least of which in our own nation, we can begin to cry out with honest urgency, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But far too many of us are tied to this present world, and because we love the world in the wrong way, we do not love it the right way. We do not have the love of the Father in us for the people who need to be delivered out of the world. 1 John 2.15 addresses that. If we were to become truly heavenly-minded, we would maybe be some earthly good when the world begins to shake. Colossians 3, 1-5 says, We are dead and our life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then we shall appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your physical, your bodily appetites, which are tied to the earth, uh, that linger in your fleshly responses. That's the meaning of that there. Now, the fear of future events is tied, I believe, to an unhealthy love for the world. And a lack of love of the world is tied to the fact that we love the world the wrong way. In other words, you, you, if you love the world in God's love, you hate the world system. If you love the world system, you don't have God's love. A few days ago, Kira got in the car after school and between telling me about her day and asking to get ice cream, she said, some of the kids at school are really afraid to die. If they know Jesus, why would they be afraid to die? Now, by no means am I trying to hold Kira up as some kind of vanguard of anti-worldly spirituality, not when she could easily spend her life savings on plastic fingernails if I would let her. But there was a simplicity and an honesty in her question that both comforted me and shook me a bit. I was comforted because I'm so thankful that she thinks of things like that. But I was shaken because I could also see in her Christian school and in myself so much of uh, an insecurity that is not uh, yielding to the Holy Spirit, total control and confidence in him. Second Timothy 1.12, Paul said, I know whom I have believed, and I have become totally unmovably persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. Yeah, I can quote that verse, but can I say that it's true of me? Now, in some areas I can, but in certain areas I know that I can't. In those areas I am shakable. And in Hebrews chapter 12, God promises that he'll shake everything that can be shaken in order that that which cannot be shaken may remain stable. So anything in me that is shakable needs to be shaken so that I can allow the Holy Spirit to make it unshakable. So I welcome whatever in me is shaking because I know God is shaking it, only so as to make me secure against that day, when or whatever that day may be for me. There are certainly many things that might be in, quote, that day for us. The world economy is not fixable, and only those who live in a fantasy land think it will carry on somehow with, without crashing. World war is potentially about to break out on several possible fronts. The Middle East is now a tinderbox from Tripoli to Damascus with all the hatred focused, as usual, on, Israel, on, on Jerusalem. The United States is about to pass on to a generation uh, the control of its culture to an illiterate public school graduate uh, mass that has only been educated just enough to be obedient serfs under a rising socialist elite who will happily keep our borders open not to care for the incoming poor and needy but to maintain an ignorant but grateful Democratic Party voter bloc. We export more filth than any single country in the world, and we wonder why God-fearing foreigners hate America and seek to protect their children from us. We think what we do is without question uh, motivated by good things, and uh, we, we can't face the reality of 
how responsible we are as a nation for much of the evil that is occurring. Yes, I know all about the part that's good. And I thank God for our soldiers and for the people who lay down their lives for the protection of the of the weak and, and the defenseless. And God does see that and take it in consideration. But we've developed an idea that because we do good things, that makes it okay that we do evil things. We seem oblivious to the fact that immorality means more than just sexual sin. We're totally immoral as a nation in how we deal with money. As a result, we've brought inevitable judgment down upon our own heads by our own hand. A New York Times front page photo several years ago symbolized it well, with a young trader lighting his cigar with a burnt $100 bill. Only blocks away from him were children that were hungry and hurting. We've spent my children's and grandchildren's and great-grandchildren's income already as a nation. The U.S. is insolvent all over the world. And the Chinese await the opportunity to kill the U.S. dollar as soon as they can do so without damaging their own system. We have a president who seeks to challenge the holiness of God by declaring June, again, as he's done two years previously, homosexual month, by fighting to protect Planned Parenthood, the most heinous of baby-murdering machines while do, doing all he can to injure the family and the sacredness of marriage. Add to that his openly insane proclamation that Israel must return to the pre-1967 borders, a concept that is so absolutely uh, an act of wishful thinking genocide toward the Israeli people, that the stage is set for a cataclysm like none we've ever experienced as a nation. So... Everything is shaking. What in your private life is shaking? Whatever it is, ask God to thoroughly shake it to its core so that you can become unshakable. For the unshakable people are the ones who will be able to, quote, know their God and do exploits, Daniel 11:32. These are the ones referred to in Psalm 110 who make of themselves a free will offering in the day God gathers his troops. These are the overcomers of Revelation chapter 2 and 3 who count all things as loss so that they might draw close to Jesus and know him in the power of his resurrection through the fellowship of his suffering being made conformed to his death so that by any means they might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Philippians 3 verses 8 and 9. These are the ones who overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, who love not their lives even to the death, Revelation 12, 11. Now, these verses we have read for years, but now they're becoming more and more pertinent as the time of the possible uh, fulfillment of, of all these verses is approaching. And, and many of us may, have, may, may be having to examine ourselves to see if these have just been nice verses we've read for all of our lives or if we are really letting the Holy Spirit bring us to death of our old self so that we can stand in our true self as the world is shaken to its foundations. The current pressures we're all facing and which we will face more and more, can only serve to awaken us to our true identity so that we begin to fully live in the truth of what Paul said in Romans 8, 18, where he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us and in us. And then in 2 Corinthians 4.17, our light and momentary troubles are working for us a far greater glory which will far outweigh all these troubles. The writer of Hebrews reminds them that they were beginning to know persecution and earthly loss, but that they had, quote, not yet shed their blood in that battle against evil. Hebrews 12 verse 4 so they were to consider that they were surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who had already gone before them and were cheering them on. 
Now, those Hebrew saints to whom that letter was written are part of the same company who are cheering us on as we head toward home. And we are to do the same thing to endure whatever comes that all our previous spiritual family has had to do. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, and the idea, the Greek there is keep a constant consideration of him, lest you become weary and faint in your minds, for you have not yet shed your blood in this battle. Hebrews 12 again. For in a very little while he who shall come will come. Hebrews 10.37 For those who are looking and longing for him shall he appear a second time. Hebrews 9.28 And all those who have this hope purify themselves even as Jesus himself is pure. 1 John 3.3 So we can take comfort in all of these issues, all these struggles, all these battles, all these losses, even death, we take comfort that whatever comes, economically, internationally, ecologically, militarily, all things are working together for good for all who love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8:28. In the face of his own suffering, as we've quoted already previously, Paul told Timothy, I have come to know the one I first believed in and have become progressively but fully, absolutely convinced that he is able to keep what I have committed to him in the face of that day. So the issue is, what have we committed to him and what do we really, really believe about his power to keep us and those we love in the face of whatever is coming? Paul uses the word that is translated persuaded. The word in Greek means totally convinced, immovably resting in the reality of the fact. So later on in Romans, or previously in Romans 8, Paul had written nothing, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing in creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, verse 38 and 39. Now, think of what he just said. You've heard these verses so often, maybe they've lost their effect. If even the highest and most powerful principalities of demonic cosmic uh, rulership have no power to ultimately harm us, these are the beings that control the 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 flow of national and international intrigue and evil. It goes without saying that the mere human forces like persecution or famine or peril or weapons mentioned in Romans 8.35, they can't harm us. For his purpose, God's purpose is always good and his goal for us is that we may be his people and that he may be our God. So whatever today or tomorrow brings, we rest in his heart for us, and we make our hearts a resting place for him, too. We are his resting place. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. For those of us concerned for loved ones who are trapped by the spirit of this age, we pray that the shaking that is coming and is already here will be useful in the hands of a merciful, gracious God as an opportunity to shake people awake. Isaiah 26, verses 8 and 9, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is to your name and to the remembrance of you. With my soul have I desired you in the night. Yes, with my spirit within me will I seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world Learn righteousness. So, is it all that bad if if the shaking that comes interrupts our flow of modern, hyper-electronic uh, amusement? Uh, is it is it going to be that bad if 
families, I say this all the time, is it going to be that bad if families have to pool their resources to have a meal and to be forced to sit around a table together? Uh, sometimes men come up with brilliant ideas. They think they're brilliant ideas. And then there's what's called uh, the unforeseen uh, tr tragic circumstances that come from those brilliant ideas. Well, you know what? The opposite is also true. Sometimes the thing we are most afraid of has potential for good in it that we did not foresee because of our lack of discernment and our myopic worldly mindedness. Psalm 112 verse 7 says, The righteous one is not afraid of bad news. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Well, how did he fix his heart? The word fix there obviously doesn't just mean fixing something broken. It means to establish something strongly rooted and movable, like fixing uh, your chart, uh, 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 charting your course on a map or fixing your eyes on something or uh, more to the point, you know, fixing the stakes of a tent so that it doesn't fall. Your heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Look, you take the thing you're most afraid of and you find the scripture that deals with that and you begin to willfully, purposefully focus on it and bathe yourself in the truth of God's promises in the face of it. Because, you know, uh, you've heard this and heard this and heard this. 365 times the scripture says, don't be afraid. One for every day of the year. And uh, when angels appear, you know, the first word out of their mouth is, don't be afraid. God God does not want you to be afraid. I mean, can you, <laughs> how many times has he got to say it before we get it? He doesn't want us to be afraid. Not only does he not want us to be afraid because he knows that Ultimately, there's nothing to be afraid of if you belong to him. But fear is the opposite of faith. Why does God require faith from us? Because faith is the opposite of what Adam and Eve manifested in the garden. Uh, they believed a lie, and uh, by doing so, it dishonored God uh, and, and announced to the universe that they'd been called to rule that God was not trustworthy because God was not good. So that's why Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it's impossible to please God because he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. See, Satan said, oh no, he's not a rewarder. He's trying to keep things from you. God is saying, if you have faith in me, you're, you're, you're going to operate in the opposite of fear. Uh, we talked last month uh, in that that previously recorded session about unbelief and uh, those who went in to spy out the land and, and who uh, expressed themselves in fear and unbelief. But God called what they had to say an evil report. Evil, in God's eyes, is not just the wickedness of a perverse culture or the mistreatment of children at the hands of uh, military warlords. No, evil is when his own people express doubt and unbelief instead of uh, faith and confidence in God's character. So please take these scriptures and bathe your brain with them. Post them. Put them up where you'll see them. Now, uh, I want to shift gears and talk to you some more about the upcoming events related to the ministry because if, if you'll forgive me, my whole purpose in this nightlight has been primarily to catch you up on where we are. And, and you know, grief comes in waves. And there are moments when Mary and I are at peace and, and we're rejoicing at the thought of, of Dwight and, and Brad and Tom and others in the presence of the Lord. And then there are moments when I, I just literally still pick up the phone to call Tom to discuss some musical issue or, or I'll think I got to check with Dwight about that or you know Bradley would love this or and then I'm just in a puddle and I, you know I don't talk to people in those moments I try not try not to anyway so uh, but you know underneath all of this the ebb and flow of emotion 
is the concrete, unmovable fact of God's promise and God's guarantee and God's uh, uh, character. And uh, so I'm more aware than I've ever been in my life of the temporariness of this life. And that has made me more aware of the value and preciousness of the invisible real. And uh, it's helped shake up my priorities so that I have to examine myself before the Lord and uh, find, as I've already said, anything in me that's shakable needs to be shaken so that that which can't shake can remain. And then the scripture says, we receive a kingdom. And that's what cannot be shaken. So Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. If you're seeking his kingship, his rulership, his lordship, everything else will uh, fall in place. So I wanted to spend some time just trying to bear my soul to you here and not get into too much teaching. And now I want to share with you some of the things that are coming up related to the ministry. I don't do this very often because I, I, it's not that it's boring. It's, I, I assume you're interested in it, but I get bored with it because there's so much else I would rather do. But from time to time, I think it's right for us to tell you these things because of all the, the ministry relationships in the world that we have, n nightlight people are part of us you are us and so it's right for you to know what's going on we need your prayers we need your input uh, at the time of the release of god a man and a woman in the next few weeks it will also be the 20th anniversary of the release of against the night uh, to commemorate the anniversary of uh, against the night we will be releasing a new edition it's the same music, of course, but it's just a new, uh, a new artwork and so forth. And uh, as many people have said to us, the warnings and the prophetic images written over 20 years ago in Against the Night are more relevant now than they were when they were written. And you'll be able to find information concerning these two new releases on the website as soon as they are released. But in the meantime, I'm asking you for your prayers uh, for these projects. Uh, just just whisper a prayer for us that we'll be able to uh, accomplish them, and that we will that the anointing of the Holy Spirit will be on them. You know, folks, of the making of many books, there's no end. The Scripture says, and the same thing is true with music. Of the making of many Christian albums, there's no end, and. Uh, there's a lot better and a lot more talented uh, and more gifted people out there doing some incredibly wonderful music. But uh, what we have to offer is a prophetic picture. Uh, we're not seeking to entertain. We're not seeking to, 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 and there's nothing wrong with entertainment to some degree. But, uh, of course, when you can't tell the difference between the spirit of the Christian music from the spirit of the world... That's a whole other subject, but the point is that we've produced these albums, God, a Man, and a Woman, Against the Night, and Mercy for the Memories, because they all are prophetically addressing the suffering and struggle in people's lives. God, a Man, and a Woman is about, as obviously uh, we've already said, marriage and man and woman's relationship before God. Uh, Mercy for the Memories directly deals with the healing of the heart. Against the Night is about spiritual warfare. And so they were designed as whole presentations. Each song can stand on their own, but they were designed as a, a kind of a, like a musical for your imagination to help bathe the imagination in the vision of marriage or the vision of spiritual warfare or the vision of the healing of the soul. And so that's why we ask for your prayers, because without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, they're not anything special. You know, they, they don't have much to offer. But if the presence of God is on them, uh, then they change lives. And we, we get the privilege of hearing from people from time to time whose lives have been transformed by the previous two releases. And we pray that that will also be true for God, a man, and a woman. 
We've also had a, a large increase lately in folks asking to be placed back on the monthly mailing list rather than downloading Nightlight from the web. And I'm really surprised by that because many of them are under the age of 30. <clears throat> now, we're happy to know that so many of you want the sense of personal contact that the mailings offer, and we will carry that on as long as God gives us the strength. But still, there are other issues I need to ask you to give me some input about. M many, are, many people are happy with the once-a-month messages because that's all they have time to engage in. And others of you, uh, though, have said, can't you do something a little faster? I mean, once a month sometimes is kind of a long stretch. And uh, the technology has long been available to make blogs and regularly posted downloads and MP3s and now video feeds uh, in real time so that I could sit here at my desk and talk to certain people who are interested in real time, I, that kind of wears me out thinking about it. I mean, at times, it, it takes all my energy just to get nightlight out once a month. And, you know, I finish I finish a nightlight, next thing I know, it's time to do the next one. And I'm happy to simply stay that way. <clears throat> but for those who truly want more in-depth study and more than once a month and who want to engage in uh, studies that would require uh, more time and uh, a technology that would make it available to you faster. We are exploring several options to do that. Your suggestions are welcome, but forgive me if after you offer your suggestions, you don't see them implemented right away. It may not be that we have rejected it. It might be that we even liked it. But we don't have the personnel required for some great ideas. So we take what we can and prayerfully implement what we can as we can. Uh, and we do that to try to protect our own sanity. <laughs> Finally, for those who so graciously ask us what you can pray for concerning us and our work, I'm trying to find the time each week to begin to put into print much of what we have been called to teach. Many of you have transcribed messages right off CDs and right off tapes and have shared those transcriptions. Some have gone to several different nations and uh, some of you have labored hard to do that and I want you to know how much Mary and I appreciate that. Because of those transcriptions, this ministry is effective in uh, about 20 different nations. And for that, we, we are very thankful. But some aspects of what we need to communicate, don't, don't, uh, they don't transcribe well. You know, some, some things are fine. You just take it right off the CD and it goes on the paper and it's very readable and it does the job. But there are other aspects of, of uh, kinds of writing that re requires writing, not transcribing. And we need your prayers behind that effort. By the time you hear this recording, many things in the world may have exploded for good or for evil. Fast communication or, quote, on-the-spot reporting may feed some part of our souls that craves that sort of thing. But I don't know that I'm called to be an on-the-spot guy. I, I pray that what we give you monthly is substantial enough that is, is worthy of study and meditation, which will then turn into incarnational truth that will be manifested in our daily living, the way we live our lives. Uh, just to gather information fast and furious, I'm not so sure that's valuable. I'd rather you have a series of messages uh, or one message once a month, if, if you'll take, I mean, so many of you tell me that you listen to it four or five times. God have mercy on you that you have to listen to my voice that many times. But I do thank God that you're interested in hearing the message and chewing on it and re, you know, revisiting it and revisiting it until it becomes a part of you. Because that is the greatest gift you could give back to me in the world is that you're walking in the truth.
and walking in love and seeking to obey God and honor him in all that you do. Uh, I would be very happy uh, if we could do things faster and more and better, but I would ultimately be most happy just to do it better. Not so much faster or more, just better. But I, I want what God wants. If we need to speed up and cover more, we will. Uh, but the written word, contrary to many starry-eyed young electronics gurus who are fussing at me about it, the written word will always have a place in an audience, and I am far more sensitive to the medium of writing than I am to the other mediums that are screaming their superiority. And I'm happy for younger, more gifted minds who take whatever I can give and turn it into whatever medium they're envisioned to develop. Uh, so just please pray with us about that. And then finally, uh, two other issues. The conferences. We now have some 20 years of testimonies of how the in-house conferences have transformed their lives. Uh, we get we get testimonies from people who talk about how their life was salvaged from destruction by attending. We have marriages that were saved, and even more exciting, marriages that were birthed. Marriages uh, that that uh, people they met each other and became engaged and married, and came back for their honeymoon. Uh, to the next year's conference. Uh, we have children now who have grown up enough to now attend the conferences uh, that their parents had been attending. So it's becoming something uh, of, a, of a spiritual family where people have built friendships and stayed in touch with each other and become related to each other uh, and face the battles of life together. Sometimes they, they communicate over long distances, but they've got long-distance friendships that, believe me, are very, very comforting when you live in a part of the country where there's little Christian activity and you don't have much fellowship. And nowadays with Skype and with emails and with all the other electronic things that I tend to put down on, uh, thank God people can, can feel not so alone. And a lot of this has been birthed out of the in-house conferences. If you've never been to one, if you've never come to the August conference, which is held uh, at the YMCA Conference Center near Black Mountain, North Carolina, the conference is called His Healing Presence. And uh, so if you've never come to one, I'm asking you to prayerfully consider it, not because we seek to drum up attendance. We actually try to keep it under a hundred, but because somehow people are transformed when they come, that's why I'm asking you to consider it. It's certainly not because of anything any man, myself included. Uh, it's not because of anything any of us can do. It's, I think it's because of the pilgrimage that is required. You know, Psalm 84 talks about those who set their hearts on pilgrimage. And the idea is that you set aside a specific time and place. You sacrifice to go meet with the Lord at a given place. That's what a pilgrimage is. So is it because for five days people are cut off from the demands that so easily pull their attention away from what the Holy Spirit wants to do in them? Or is it because for maybe the first time in their lives they're gathered with like-minded people who are not religious but are sold out to Jesus and the combination of that united power and heart produces an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit can be unhindered? Yeah, I think it's all of that. But mostly it's just because of the reality behind the title of the conference. It's called His Healing Presence for a reason. And maybe that's all the explanation we need. Then, finally, I want to speak to you about uh, seminars. Over the years, from time to time, we have been invited to various locations around the country to hold in-depth weekend seminars on specific subjects such as spiritual warfare, worship, biblical psychology, self-acceptance, intercessory prayer, uh, dealing with unusually difficult uh, psychological cases, 
on the ch local church level. Now, the goal of these intensive seminar studies was to strengthen the local church in areas where they felt lacking. We are beginning again to make these kinds of teaching gatherings available in several cities because several of you have contacted us to see if that was possible and we were able to begin to do it. Uh, we, we've, we've done things in, in Birmingham, in uh, Memphis, in Nashville, in uh, uh, various other places, and uh, other areas are beginning to uh, open up, Chicago and the central Ohio area. Now, if you're interested in organizing one of these three-day seminars in your uh, in your area, just contact us. Send me an, a letter or an email and describe to us what you think the Holy Spirit is is wanting to strengthen among you and we'll we'll begin to do it now i'll tell you in some areas and this is kind of exciting really people who have given up on the local church because the local church has so far removed itself from the scriptures that uh that there's no there's no fellowship between light and darkness i hate to say that but uh, places where uh, immoral lifestyles have been affirmed and, um, and that kind of thing. Uh, people have begun to gather in their homes and just share together around the Word of God. And uh, that's how churches then are born. Real churches are born. And uh, so if you're in that situation, you're really in a, a better place to possibly begin to establish something where life and truth can begin to manifest in your area. So we're, we're especially interested in supporting and helping any of you who are doing that. We've got people in prisons who are asking for uh, material to be given uh, to support the work in prisons. Many of you know that a lot of our material is on the USS Eisenhower. And I was told by the uh, chaplain who uh, oversees that part of the ministry on the Eisenhower, he said that the, the CDs that you gave us are checked out all the time. So uh, I mean, just think about 3,000 plus military people who are a captive audience on a battleship that could be sent any moment into the worst parts of the world. And, and we're there to give them the word of God and to give them the kind of support and strength that we talked about on this same message that I, I've just recorded here with you. So all that's going on. Uh, then finally, and I do want to make this final because I'm running out of time, uh, and maybe in some ways most importantly, uh, I've been asked to come to the American Family Association, the American Family Radio, which covers about three-quarters of the United States, to address on, uh, on a, in a broadcast uh, the whole issue of helping the local church learn to minister to the healing of sexually broken people, especially dealing with homosexuality, but everything related to, to sexual issues. The, the, the local church in many places only knows how to proclaim the word of God and thank God for that. But the sad fact is evangelicalism has done a great job of educating certain subjects on a surface level, but they've not known how to go into the in-depth ministry of the truth that sets people free. So the danger is that they just become uh, announcers of the obvious. You know, telling dirty people that they're dirty doesn't do anything to help them become clean. Telling hurting people that they're sick doesn't do anything to help them become well. And so uh, American Family Association is concerned over this, this issue. And thank God for them. They do a great job. By the way, this is an aside, but many of you may know or may not know that uh, for the past several months, Sears and Roebuck, your family store, was selling triple X pornography on their website to uh, pad their pockets. The American Family Association got a hold of that information and went 
uh, to the people, the grassroots people that uh, the left and the you know the people on the left coast think don't matter and don't don't have any influence. And uh, within six weeks of warning Sears, they finally brought them to their knees. Sears has uh, cut them. You know they've they've stopped the porn trafficking. Ten-year-old uh, children could go online on that website of Sears and they could order triple X porn. There was nothing protecting your children from it. Sears did that, uh, and you, you know you think that uh, boycotting doesn't work. You think it's not effective. Uh, you know, sometimes there is a place for just saying, you know what, we've had enough of you, and we're not putting up with it anymore. And because of the American Family Association's commitment to this, uh, at least some kids have been protected from the vomit and poison of Sears and Roebuck's compromise. But uh, please pray for us in this because you understand if I go on a national broadcast and make this appeal that we want to help equip local churches so they know how to minister. I mean, for heaven's sakes, Desert Streams is doing it. Andy Comiskey's been doing it for 20 years. There's there's material out there, but different churches flow in different streams of fellowship. And uh, Andy's doing all he can do. Uh, Mario is doing all he can do. But they are reaching a part of the church that... Uh, that I don't reach, and I'm reaching a part of the church they don't reach. And, uh, you know, Andy's beginning to make real tremendous inroads into the Roman Catholic Church now because of the, the terrible sexual uh, brokenness in the Roman Church. And he's going there as a, as a voice of truth for that part of the church. Now, if you're hyper anti-Catholic, that's a whole other subject, and we can't get into that now, and I wouldn't engage people in it anyway, because to me it's a waste of air. But God's got people everywhere. But we, we need the Holy Spirit's direction. We need to know how to equip these churches. Going on the radio, talking to three, four million people, and saying you need to do this and this and this, if, if a tenth of those people respond... We are overloaded with uh, cries for help in material and uh, personnel to go and help them. And believe me, uh, if the church does not learn how to do more than just preach Romans 1 to sexually aberrant behavior, if we don't have answers beyond just the rebuke, uh, we're going to lose more and more and more young people who are being seduced by the lies and by the uh, uh, spirit of of the age. So that's maybe of all the things I've talked about today, this may be the most uh, the most demanding, the most I won't say it's the most important, but it certainly is in the the top echelons of importance. Well. I think I'm going to quit now because I actually need to start getting ready to head toward Miami. God bless you all. We love you. And uh, please forgive us if you've tried to communicate with us and we've not responded. Your letters, your emails, your phone calls have all been deeply appreciated. But it, they may have come at a, at, a, at a moment when I was just not in very good shape and I'm not trying to evoke your pity don't need pity do need prayer uh, but God's God's going to show us what to do and how to go forward and uh, you know Joshua the Lord spoke to Joshua and he said Moses my servant is dead now that statement was self-explanatory to Joshua he knew what it meant uh, Joshua get up and move forward. There's uh, land to be taken. There's giants to be dealt with. There's people to be delivered and a uh, world to be transformed. So I recognize that fact and I thank God for the honor and the, and the privilege of getting to be part of whatever is moving forward. And you all are part of that with me. There's nothing Mary and I do that is not directly 
uh, on your account in God's eyes because of your support and help and prayer. Um, I hope this has not been too cumbersome for you today. Uh, I, like I said, I don't I don't do this often, but I thought you deserved it. And really, to be honest, it's the best I could do. I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not real. Uh, I'm not real clear right now in some areas, and uh, I could only speak to you what was on my heart. And uh, well, I've got stacks of interesting and important subjects I want to bring forth, but all I could do is what I did today. So thank you for listening, and thank you for caring. And uh, we will keep you posted the best we can. And uh, God bless you all. Till next time. Bye bye.